from the summit in San Antonio, Texas, the Gore presents Sales Training Boot Camp with Derek Holder and Kevin Polakovich. Today's topic, the data doesn't lie. Using data to create a predictable, repeatable business. All right, you guys are in Data Don't Lie. My name is Derek Polder. I'm very excited to present today with my good friend, buddy, uh, Kevin Polakovich. Uh, speaking of data... This is the, the best guy you could teach a class with. Uh, Kevin has a branch of nearly 100 employees, did uh, just under or just over 3,000 loans. Yes. And personally closed over 600. So if anyone can teach data and teach you how to produce, it's this guy right here. So give it up for Kevin Polakovich. Thank you. And with that, we're going to jump right in. So, Kevin, take us through some data. Well, thanks. So I'm teaching with Derek, who closed over 700 loans, so we're qualifying the room. So uh, very excited uh, about this class. I did an exercise recently. i got a couple students here in the room. Uh, if I'm coaching right now, raise your hand. i got Kevin back there. Okay. Greg, we did an exercise to – big thing we talked about is being having gratitude. And the exercise was look up your Social Security wages – from the age of like 23 to 33. Greg, what did you see when you looked that stuff up? Good. So what he said is that he did a lot better since he found, found the core, but that 10 years combined. Maybe what I made in two months. Maybe what he made in two months this last year, in 10 years. And if you think about it, starting your career early on, think about yourself, put yourself in that mindset of being 22, 23 years old, getting up, showering, Get in the car, going to work for the man, going home with the stress, working late, doing this, building your career. And you can take 10 years of wages for most in this room, and most of us made more than that last year in one year. A lot of us made more than that in just a couple months. So when you're feeling sorry for yourself about how tough it is and, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it, take that and think about that. Think about the opportunity we have. Many of us in this room have planted trees, fruit trees, a long time ago and be able to harvest that fruit. So what I want to walk through today is I don't want to go backwards. I want to do just as well or better next year. That's why we're all here. So I want to talk about building a business that's predictable and repeatable. Please write that down. The most successful friend I have, he owns a jet. He's got beautiful properties. He is an awesome guy. He is not in this business. He said, KP, the secret to life in a business is building a business that's predictable and repeatable. That has stuck in my head for 20 years. And I want to walk through and share a couple things that I do. Derek's going to share some things that he does to build a business that's predictable and repeatable. So, great spot to jump in is let's take a look at page 139. I am a very, very simple guy. It's the simpler, the better. So I want to put together numbers, and these are numbers, look at page 139. These are things that you're going to be able to build. A lot of you had me in the past. This is something I've coached on a lot, and it's putting the numbers together. Those of you who have been in the core for a number of years can go back and reverse engineer and build this form. We're going to go back and look at how many leads we've got over several years, how many closings we've had for several years. We're going to break it down on a per-month basis with the whole concept of building a business that's predictable and repeatable. What is the best indicator of future income? Leads. Leads right now are going to tell me what my business is going to look like 30, 60, 90 days down the road. If anything, we probably have to generate more leads. Why? The market. Market. Inventory. 
that inventory drops, I need to get more leads. I need to see more clients to get more offers accepted. So walk through a couple things. So just walk into the sheet a little bit and, and talk about this and talk about how I'm working towards a business that's predictable and repeatable. So start with, uh, we'll start at the bottom. So closings. Talk about a closing percentage ratio. This is one of the easiest things to measure. You do not want to look at a lead to a paycheck on a weekly basis or a monthly basis. You want to look at it over a longer period of time. So good exercise for you guys to do. You guys know how many leads you generated last year? Everyone pretty much have a good idea what they generated for total leads? If you don't, you'll go back and find that information, correct? Okay. How many closings did you have last year? So you take those two numbers and divide them. So for make those two don't, you'll go back and find that information, correct? Okay. How many closings did you have last year? So you take those two numbers and divide them. So 2020 generated 2,200 leads, closed 678 transactions. It's just math. It's 31%. So at 31%, I know how many leads I need to generate to get how many loans. So if I generated 200 leads in a month, at 31%, I would close 62 loans. Does that make sense, guys? So just putting that together. So for me, as I look at my leads over five years, and you want to look at lead-to-close ratio over a longer period of time, several years if you have that data, because you're going to get a number. I have some students that had a 45% lead-to-close ratio last year. That was really high. Why was it high? Precise. Oh, my gosh, if you can fog a mirror, you can do a loan, right? I mean, yes, I'll do your loan. I mean, it wasn't really a lot of competition. It was as easy as the market could be. A number of years, 31, 30, 27, 31.5, 31. Do I know what my number is? 31. So based on that, go up to the top and say, if I generate 2,160 leads this next year at 31%, I will exceed my top-line goal of closing 602 loan units this next year. It's just math building a business that's predictable and repeatable. I choose to straight line my leads. Some people don't straight line your leads. You're going to say, hey, I generate more leads at this time than this time. These are my peak months. These are my high months. These are my low months. Historically, in my market in the Midwest, January is a really big lead reason, uh, really big lead generation month for some reason. I don't know if it's New Year's resolution. I don't know what it is, but I always generate a lot of leads in January. So I don't dip my January leads down. I chose to take a straight line all the way across. One of the things I'm most proud of in looking at this, when you look at this year, January, February, and March, um, ended up north of 50 in March and, and north of 50 in April. But historically, I've had horrible months in January and February. I'm in Michigan. What was my excuse? The weather. Oh, it's cold. It's snowy. It's no one's buying and selling houses. Baloney. The reason why I didn't close a lot in January, February, and March I didn't generate enough leads in October, November, and December. And if you look at this, I got laser focused on this. I've been collecting the data for years, but I wasn't executing on it. So I worked my tail off October, November, and December last year to guarantee that I had a good January, February, March. Make no mistake when you look at your lead tracker, you look at the business you bring in, if you're not bringing enough leads, you're not going to be bringing home paychecks. It's really that simple. Make sense? Good. Any questions on this? I just I want to reiterate. Yeah. Um, if you look at what he's talking about, look at 2019 in October, November, December, and look at the difference when he decided he was going to take action based on that data, and look at what you see for 2020, October, November, December. Yeah. So 2000, 2019, December, 71 leads. 2020, 157. Year before, a month before November, 89 to 145. Double the output, double the result. Shocking how that works, right? It's just math. 
Yes, back here. Do you think these run the numbers and separate refined from purchases? So the question was, we're, we're being recorded, so the question was, do you strip down purchases to refinances? I don't on this form. I'm a really simple guy. Uh, I know what it was for the year. I know last year I think of that 60-40. Historically, I want to be 80-20. Uh, so I was 60-40, so I know I was a little bit heavy. But when I built my number this year, did 678 transactions last year? I put 602 down this year. I put 602 down this year because that was one better than I'd ever done prior to this year. This year was an anomaly. So I went to 602. So I took some of that potential refinance business out there, and I want to build a business that's more normal than what last year was. But I know that never, but I don't track it on a regular basis. Any questions? Can I talk about this a little bit? So yeah, so let's go ahead and drill down your business a little bit more. It's a great exercise to kick off with. So Kevin was just talking about your lead to funding ratio. So let's just take a minute and figure that out. So write that down. So how many leads did you generate last year? How many loans did you close? And I'd like just to put a couple of hands up and let's just compare in the room what was your lead to funding ratio. So let's do that right now for last year. So last year, how many leads did you generate? How many loans did you close? Greg, you put up a lot of numbers. Do you know what yours was? 40%. Greg Gale's a little bit over 30. Where were you at? 35? 14? 32? 34? So rooms around 30% looks like for last year. 30% lead to funding ratio. In studying this over several years with a lot of big producers, it's around 22, 23 is historically what I've seen outside of this last year. So now let's drill down another layer. Uh, what did you make last year? Write that number down. And then take that number and divide it by your number of leads. Let's find out what a lead is worth to you. Sean, what would you come up with? $1,142. Does your team treat every lead like it's worth $1,142? Do you treat every lead like it's worth $1,142? Any other numbers? Anything bigger than that? 1893. $2,739. 2,300. Did you know uh, Harvard did a study that uh, majority of leads, I think it's like 60% of leads, don't get called more than once. And in our industry, you have leads that are worth over 1,000, 2,000, nearly $3,000. Mind-blowing. Okay, let's go further. Um, what's a loan worth? So how many loans did you close? Divide that. So what was your, in what was your income divided by your loans closed? This is where I get really upset because I'm in Tucson, Arizona, a lot of mobile homes. So all you guys from California are going to say like six grand, like 2,500 over here. Um, what's a loan worth? See, Otto and I don't get along for that exact reason. 6,000, how much? 6,350. 7,868. What do you got, Chad? What? 8,200. Anyone has that one beat? Ooh, 8,300. Brush the hair back. <laughs> All right. Now, how many hours are you working per week on average? Let's figure out how many hours you work. Take that out over the year. How many hours total did you work? And divide that into your income. What is your hourly rate worth? 904. It's okay, Lizzie. You can say. What's your hourly rate? <laughs> 
Anyone else? Who got, who's, uh, let's do a, a showroom visual exercise. Uh, if your hourly rate is more than $1,000, put your hand up. More than $1,300? More than $1,500? It's incredible. Room full with incredible people. Now let's, um, let's do a looking forward vision. So I'm going to show you, I'm going to drill down on some of my numbers and we'll do a comparison to Kevin. But knowing that a loan is worth 8000 or 3000 whatever that number is, figure out if you can improve your conversion by 5%, what does that do to your bottom line? So take your leads from last year. Let's just bump your closing percentage. You're not so generating example, anything more. Thousand leads, five percent more, be fifty more transactions. As yeah. an example. And then take that number, multiply it by your revenue per loan. Whew. For literally not spending any more energy getting new leads. One more time. What was it? So let's do this again. Put your hands up if five percent focus on conversion can make you more than one hundred fifty thousand dollars. What about more than 200,000? More than 250,000? 300,000? It's incredible. So that's going to take us into the next era where we're going to drill down on how do we do that. So if you go ahead, anything you want to add to that, Kevin? No, I just really want to make sure you guys catch that. Most of us, who really needs more leads in this room? Okay, we got a couple hands, but most of us don't need more leads. We need to convert those leads at a higher percentage and a little more effort. I had, a, I had a conversation with my LP2 direct submit recently, and the conversation went along the lines of this. You're doing really good. You're doing really good. You're going to have a job here as long as you want. I really like you. You can do a lot better. It doesn't take any more hours. It doesn't take any more time. It takes a little more effort. It's the same thing here with us. You should be having the same conversation with me. KP, it doesn't take that much harder to close a couple percentage higher. Uh, but it really is. And we had that conversation with him. Fast forward 30 days later, the team votes for the team member of the block. Guess who won? The guy he had the conversation with, he can work just a little bit harder and he can be better instead of just being good. This is the same thing for us. A couple percentage points makes a huge difference. Think about our business partners. Because leads come to us easier, because we're lenders, think about what that couple percentage points means to a real estate agent that you work with that closes six, seven, eight, nine, ten deals in the entire year. You working that lead harder, you converting at a higher percentage rate leads to him having a better quality of life, leads towards him building a better business, leads toward you, towards you closing more loans with the business partners you already have and going deeper in relationships with them. That is so critical. Just a little bit more effort. Rick talks about running to the bathroom. Rick said recently, what, what's your struggle? Give me something you're struggling with. There's not enough time in the day. Good! Run to the bathroom. That's what I do. And it is, and that's what it feels like. And it's not more hours. It's being more dedicated. It's going deeper. It's closing at a little bit higher, little bit higher rate, little deeper relationships. And it makes such a dramatic difference in our income. So, so how many of you guys actually knew what your hourly rate was before that exercise? A few. How many of you knew what your leads were worth before that exercise? Okay, a few. How many of your teams know exactly what's expected from them in terms of metrics to define a good job versus a great job or minimum job expect, uh, expectations? 
So I'll tell you, one of the, the biggest things that the core has done for me, not just in terms of um, the work-life balance, but is helping with leadership in, a, in an objective way. So in the beginning, we go through that phase of being overwhelmed, being afraid to hire, eventually hiring, and then you're a little bit of a maniac when you first hire because your team doesn't call somebody back fast enough, they don't convert a lead, and so it starts breaking trust. And you can always uh, find a, a first-time attendee here because they're usually having the most team issues, right? And for me, I was a little bit of a tyrant with the team. Uh, I've had, uh, I was on a vacation once, and I literally was in Mexico about to jump on an airplane and had three text messages come through of resignation notices right before I'm jumping on the plane. Imagine that flight home for a couple hours. Um, I've had team member walk out right in the middle of the day. I'm looking out the, the window. Just got done having a, a conflict resolution meeting between two team, team members, and I'm working. My, my office window faces the street. And I look up, and I see a team member walking down the street at like 11 a.m. And the biggest uh, reason I'm looking back at that is because I drove my people too hard. I, I didn't have clear numbers in terms of what defined their, their uh, job roles or responsibilities, and it was always a reactive coaching. It was an agent calling me saying, so-and-so hasn't called this client back, or I sent this lead into you, I haven't heard anything, and then I'm losing my cool and barging into their office and saying what's happening. And then it was here at a summit uh, where I heard someone talk about, no one wants to go to work and do a bad job. Your people decided to come work for you. They were excited to work for you. And it's our responsibility to keep them excited and keep them motivated by saying, this is exactly what I expect from you. This is how you're going to do a job well done and have, it, have clearly defined KPIs. So I started getting better at tracking and measuring those things, but I made a mistake. I tracked all my data as the team macro versus breaking it up by individuals. So if you turn to the next page, on page 140... You'll see a little snippet from one of the reports that we have, and you'll see uh, breakdown by LPs. It's the bottom half of 240. Bottom half of 140. And so this is something that I look at, and I look at this every single day. This is reviewed in our daily team meeting, and guess what? Uh, when we go through this, I don't even discuss this. Every team member will go through their stat highlight for that day. Um, so those, you know, if, if uh, Kevin was on my team, he'll say, so far I've taken in 52 leads. I've taken this many 1003s. So right now, uh, looking at this report, I have a huge opportunity with staffing. And I can see it because look at how much my lead to 1003 dropped. We had a 65% target. We're at 61%. And I have one guy who I'm especially concerned at. When, this is, we had to turn this in a few months ago, but I just got the snapshot from that day. And there's one guy that jumps out to me that I'm especially concerned about. Who is it? TT. Why am I concerned about TT? So TT just grabbed every lead. Um, why, I'm sorry, was that Eric? Okay. So why am I concerned about TT? Because the amount of leads that he took is dis disproportionate to the team. He's a team player. He just jumps on it. But what's the red flag there? He's not going to be able to do a good job. So go back to... Derek from seven, eight years ago, if I heard that he didn't call somebody back or the agent didn't get an update, I'm going after TT, and I'm thinking that guy doesn't care about his job, he's not a hard worker. The reality is I'm failing him, failing him horribly right now because I'm overworking him. Yes? 
Yeah, I'll break it down right now. Uh, the question was, can I break down those columns? So I'll explain that. But this gives me a quick overview that TT is overworked and also the team's not balancing leads, right? I also have another concern on there. This is actually point ranked. So every category has a point system on there. And so it dynamically ranks my team based on performance per category. So who else am I concerned about? DF, he's ranked in last place. So again, previously, I would look at that as DF's not performing, he's gotta be a guy I cut or fire, and now I, I approach him to find out if I can motivate him, does he have something going on personally, um, where is he struggling, why is he struggling, what's the behavior that we can focus on to improve these metrics. Let me go back and I'll, I'll break down the, the sections so you can see what we're measuring. Oh, look at this DP guy. Look at this guy. He's closing at, <laughs> this guy closes at 22 leads, um, 21 of them turned into a full 10 3, 95%. Wow, shocking. Who's that DP guy? I don't know, he's a maniac. Okay. So, so remember, who's the best salesperson in all of our teams? Us. Remember that. Yeah. It's not surprising you're at 95%. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, question? So I noticed here, I'm, watching, I'm looking at KPs, and he's 36 per LP1. Mm -hmm. And then I'm looking at yours, and um, anywhere from 60, well, 52, that looks like an outlier, but 61, 85, 63. And mm -hmm. the closing conversion, his was 31, and your average looks like 34. Yeah, so imagine. So would you say that looking at that, because I've always thought the number is 50, like hard 50, minimum 15 have to turn the contract from that per LB1, but would you say that it's maybe 36? Because I know your back end's really tight. Hold on. So, so we have to repeat. I'm going to attempt to repeat that question. Looking at the difference between KP's numbers and mine, KP's uh, projecting or keeping his LPs at 36, and I'm just dumping, burying my people in leads. Uh, Nikki said, hey, I used to think it was 50 per LP. Perhaps is it better? Now, I, I want to hear KP's take on this, but here's what I will say. Be very cautious running out of this room and drastically making those changes in your business because you have to define first, what do your LPs do, right? I've seen some teams where an LP can take 80 leads because they're just quick phone call and moving on to an appointment, and then there's others where they're expected to be skilled, take a full 1003, review docs. So you have to define first, what is the expectation of your LP and how, how trained are they? Uh, this is very clear for me that I need to hire. I had one LP that got promoted. I had another one that we, were, we had bandwidth for an MLA, and that person has since went on their own. So I lost two bodies. Since then, I've hired three people right now. And my goal on the front end is to have two teams of three LPs competing against each other, an Alpha Squad and a Bravo Squad, measuring those stats. So I do want to bring it down to about 40 per person. Looks like, where, well, I won't speak for you. Where are you at? We're going to cover that in the next section, really drilling down on that. But who overworked their team last year? Raise your hand. Okay. Next question. Who had team members crying in your office because you overworked them? Because they couldn't go home and shut it off. Spouses upset, angry, not a very high quality of life. For the first time in my career, I've been in the core for seven years, been in the business for 20 years. For the first time in my career, I finally listened to what the big guy's been yelling about, staff appropriately. I am staffed appropriately for the first time in my life. No one has cried in my office in four months. <laughs> it's a really low bar. It's a really bar. No one's crying. But better than that, honest to God, better than that, 
I'm doing little things because I'm staffed appropriately. If you cover my weekend hotline, you leave at noon on Friday. When you go on vacation, someone else is there to take care of your email and pretend they're you, so when you come back, you don't have 200 emails in your inbox. At the end of the day, what did it cost me? $150,000? A higher close ratio? A close ratio equal to what it was last year, because even though the market's tight, my clients are getting a better experience. It's priceless. I don't feel guilty. I added a Friday afternoon in my schedule recently that says something like, I had my assistant make it look somewhat professional instead of just horse around, but it was something along the lines of KP to do whatever he wants on Friday afternoon. Cribbage with clients, beers with real estate partners, golf, whatever it is I want to do. Do you think I would have felt good running out of the office at noon last year when I'm understaffed? Is me being able to be gone on Friday afternoon, stress-free, worth $150,000 of my life and where I'm at in my career? Heck yes. My people are happy. I'm going to be able to retain my people. So we'll talk a little bit about staffing at the end, but it's the first time I've ever done it, guys, and it is a game changer. So let's drill down on what these numbers mean. Every morning. Yeah, every the morning. question is, how often do you review these numbers? And the answer is every morning. Every morning. Uh, our team meeting, on average, is 30 minutes, and we go through. Our team meeting has the whole big rocks, and it basically follows the sales flow. So we look at how many outbound calls did you make, how many leads did we take in, how many prequels did we write, how many contracts did we get, and where are we at for contract handoffs. So, uh, and then this is the overall stats. So what, what are we looking at? We're looking at leads. We're looking at leads that need follow-up. That's bloody leads. We're looking at full 1003. What is our actual 1003 percentage? SPQ, I'll tell you another embarrassing story. So years ago, you know, we have to get out and milk her out. And so it's Valentine's Day, and I have a box of cookies, and I'm going to a pretty, I think they were like number two real estate office, and big office, and I'm walking around. Oh, Mike, here's your cookie, little heart cookie. Love working with you. Go over here, give another cookie away. And I make the whole lap around the office, and then the sales manager walks out. He's like, oh, Derek, uh, funny, I was going to call you. Let's walk out. Gives me the walk out and says, yeah, we're going to go a different direction. We just uh, we hired a different lender. I'm like, dude, why? And um, two things I learned from that conversation is, well, we had such and such lead that we send over. They spoke to so-and-so, and you guys are working on credit work. And then we got a second opinion. They got qualified. And, uh, and then sometimes, you know, my agents are just complaining about it's taking too long to get a pre-approval from you. So I go through my immediate reaction of, like, being upset, being disappointed. to like, all right, what's the behaviors we need to focus on? And so we had a team meeting, and we covered a few different things. One, I'll tell you, a great exercise to do with your team is have everyone say from step to step to step, what happens when a lead comes in? Because it should be that consistent experience, and I will tell you, it's not. Okay, so go through, what is the first thing we do when we get a lead? What's the next step? What's the next step? So we did that, um, but then we talked about how can we speed up, when you have that Honeywell engineer that has an 807 FICO score, can get a loan from anywhere, what do you do with that guy who knows he's qualified, but is annoyed because he doesn't want to come in tomorrow and do that appointment? So... For those super vanilla ones, we uh, created something called Streamline Pre-Approvals, which the idea is on that phone call, right when you hang up, you will have a prequel in your inbox, but we're not going to risk blowing up the pipeline, so how do you do that? And we defined 
what is low risk, like high credit score, low DTI, salary wage earner, two years or more on the job. And so it's actually a percentage that we measured because we found that those convert higher and we actually converted documentation at a higher level because the human, like the natural human instinct of giver's gain, hey, I gave you a pre-call and good service. You called in 10 minutes later, you got a pre-approval letter. And what we do is we put a lot of scary language of this is based on verbal. Please give us your stuff right away. And we found that those people would then, hours later or the next day, send in their doc. So it's something that we do measure because we, we have found that it helps with that clientele. Streamline pre-approval, yeah, streamline pre-qualification. Uh, then we have pre-quals, then we have our pre-qual percentage, our funded, our funded percentage, appointments, CCRs, personal Whoa, 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 whoa. slow down, slow down. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Hold on, see, have you, have you noticed the difference between Derek and me? Yeah. Very, very detailed. Yeah. Me, fast and loose. It is, everything in life is a learned skill. He has taught me so much and brought me more towards I need to track my data. I need to do a better job of it. So incredible when I watch you. I need you to slow down and repeat a couple of those so smart right. guys like me so can get it. So SPQ is streamlined pre-qualification. PQ is a pre-qualification. Then we have our percentage. Obviously, you guys all know what fund it is. Bloody lead is out of compliance. So leads that need attention. So you can see my big issue looking at this right now is one word. What is it? It's capacity. Compliance, so you should all have defined clearly what's good service on your team. You might say, I call leads fast. Define fast. Is fast 15 minutes? Is it two hours? Is it an hour? Your team has to clearly know what your expectations are. So for us, we have expectations on when we take initial leads. We have expectations of when you're going to do a follow-up. So if, if we have someone who is verbally qualified, they look good, then my team should get documentation within 72 hours but they'll have a five-day grace period, right? So if they're beyond that, we're going to say, hey, you got some leads that, you know, Holden, you got four leads with over 700 credit scores without documentation. Make some time today to call those people and get them, get them fully qualified. By dispositions inside uh, your LOS. So you should have a disposition of this leads pending, this leads verbally qualified, this leads uh, fully qualified, this leads in contract. Uh, Yes, and out of Encompass. Then we have our appointments, our CCRs, our personal friends, uh, then average handoff. That's, then days, that's days, Derek, average handoff? Yeah, days on their desk before it goes into processing. And then you have our current month closings. We just added one, which I think is really important, too, is we added... Uh, originations last 30 days. So, Derek, I'm going to ask a question here. Yeah. That as you look at TT and your team, and we come down to here, and you look at his turn time, overworked, taking a ton of leads, it looks like, took a bunch, and look what happened to his turn time. He actually killed his turn time. It was TK. Oh, it's TK. TK. Okay, gotcha. But the beauty of having this is when I do one-on-ones, which uh, was the biggest last culture test that I had was the big takeaway, we need more time one-on-one. I know what to talk about. I told Tony, you're falling on the sword for the team. I love you. I need you coming to me. He's like, well, if there's a lead calling in sometimes and someone else can't take it, I just take them. I just say yes all the time. I said, you're, you're going to do it to your own detriment, which is also going to hurt all of us because you're going to burn, you're going to crack. Uh, for Tina, it was, you're getting stuck. Why are files on your desk too long? What can I do to help? And it's, it could be little things like, well, I'm just waiting for pay stubs. If, call them verbally. If they haven't changed their job, let's order a VOE and let's move that file forward. How do we get that file off your desk sooner? Question?
PCRs? Yep. Um, am I lumping PCRs into the current leads? Uh, no, we track the PCRs in the lead tracker, but for that, we really emphasize CCRs. And the reason we put personal friends on there is because last year was a crazy year. You were truly changing lives, saving someone $500 on their payment. I'm like, guys, like, what you do for a living is magical. Tell your hairdresser, you know, talk to your, your kid's soccer coach. Make sure that they know what you do. We should all be having friends every month that we're able to save some money. Daniel? Yes. Do loan partners see it? Yes. Not only do they see it, they read their stats. In my team meeting, I got a couple students in here. Raise your hand if you're my student. So how much do I talk in the team meeting? I direct. My team runs the team meeting. It's our team. So they'll say, I did this many leads, and I just, you know, I'll ask questions, but this data gives me the information I need to do to ask, ask the questions. Hey, Tony, uh, why are your leads so high? Oh, I had to take three of the calls yesterday. So I'll do that so the team can... We need to step in and help Tony out. Cool? Uh, my assistant, Carly, who's my LP1 admin, she, she reconciles all data. But again, it's done real time when you're doing lead tracker and all that. But she gets the report ready and makes sure that we're clean for every morning. Okay, let's take a second here. I want everyone to write down a metric or two that they use data in their own personal business. So I want you just to write it down first. Write it down first. Take a minute. A couple things that you track. And we're going to share around the table. We're going to share a couple of those out loud. So metric and data that you track on your team to keep you on track. So you're oh. top two. Top two. Top, top two. Top KPIs. two things that you measure that you look at. Okay, let's go around the room. Uh, this table over here. Who, who had a good one here? Brian. Well, I came up, uh, well, there's a couple of things. I mean, one, the more data you track, the less you have to work. But really, the number one thing we really track is our applications to, um, to closings. Because Rick always said, you know, the number one rule, or one of the number one rules, of course, is to generate more applications than closings. And that's how you keep growth. Awesome. Awesome. Great one. Apps to closing? Apps to closing. All right. Joshua. All right, so we talked about um, we all have a shared lead tracker that our entire team sees. So really watching the lead to pre-app and making sure that that is at the highest conversion possible because once they're officially pre-apped and they're followed up with, um, that lead stands a substantially higher chance of closing. So leads to pre-app. Put Robbie on the spot right here, Robbie. Um, we, I track data by each loan partner, so we track um, initial leads, what percentage converted, and how many uh, deals did they chase on, how many deals did they, did they close. So, and then I'm able to look at the data on my nine-people team and see what percentage of the work they're doing is what I do every single month. So I know who's pulling their weight and who's not. Awesome. So looking at individual numbers from everyone in the team. By the way, Robbie brought something. Uh, him and I were collaborating at midnight a couple uh, uh, a couple summits ago, and Robbie brought something that's dramatically changed my business, and it is a concierge program. And the concierge program is staying hyper-engaged with our pre-approved buyers. And hyper-engagement with our pre-approved buyers in a normal market, and for years, 
I was so good at talking to someone on Thursday or Friday, and they bought a house in the next three days or the next week, and they used me, and it was great. But when it took someone two months, three months to find a house, I wasn't so great because I wasn't staying hyper-engaged with them. So Robbie put together a program of 16 or 17 weeks. I tweaked it a little bit of my thing. I am hyper-engaged with every one of my clients. When you have 100 people that are pre-approved, it is very difficult to call them all every single Wednesday. So putting together a systematized system to stay hyper-engaged with these people because they are going to buy. Are they going to buy with me? Or are they going to buy with somebody else? So thanks, Robbie. Um, we're tracking it at uh, leads to credit report, then pre-approval, then contract or disclosure, and then close, obviously. And then one of the other pointers that I liked was tracking Internet-based leads versus regular leads so you can get those same numbers and see how your, your Zillow agents and your Redfin agents compare to your regular referral partners. So, so what you're saying is the Zillow lead compared to a personal referral or a PCR or CCR is a higher ratio? Awesome. Absolutely right. Cool. Anyone else got one jumping out of them? Coley back there. Okay, so i got to give uh, credit to our great friend uh, Robin Lavasser on this one, but I'm um, keeping it simple just like KP. We just want to pull credit on 90% of our leads. So that's what we focus on, pulling credit on 90% of our leads. How long have you measured that? Uh, nine months. And what are you pulling right now? Uh, 86%. Yeah. Wow, that's good. So... Why is this so important? It makes you, uh, makes you better manage. I was just talking to Lizzie, and Lizzie's looking at my stats, and she goes, you have a huge opportunity. You should be load balancing your leads. Uh, somebody should be fired. And I said, I agree. One of those people on there is on a final, and I've hired three people. So my big issue was capacity, right? And so when they said, hey, give us some, give us some stats, I didn't embellish. I literally pulled the stats from that day, and I sent it to you. I sent it into the concierge, and you guys can see that. That was that's my, what my business looked like that day. I have three new bodies on. I can make adjustments because I have the data that tells me where I have to make the adjustments. And this this is a great. Um, I'll tell you guys. There's a book that you should read. I think it's the best business book uh, that you could get on not what to do because we all know what to do. You're all here saying I'm still not doing my theme days. But it teaches you how to do it. And I think that's what, that's what I needed help with. And it's um, Four Disciplines of Execution. Has anyone read that book? Four Disciplines of Execution, also known as 4DX. I'm going to give you a very quick summary of it. It talks about you have to identify what your two main goals are. And we all have chaos in our business. That's called, they call it in that book, The Whirlwind. It's like the tornado that's going on every day you walk in the office. There's just a thousand things to do. But you have to define that priority or two that's going to change your business. So looking at that, you could see I needed to talk with Tony. I needed to hire additional people. Uh, Dan had to go on corrective action. So what is your priority established? They call it your WIGs, your wildly important goals. Other books call it BHAG. It's your priority. Pick the one or two things. Number two is you have to establish your lead measures. Lead measures, the, the way that I would describe it is whatever your goal is, break it down to a game that you could win or lose on a daily basis. So, for example, one of the things that we're working on is also conversion. We've broken down our lead measures to be one appointment a day, one, one pre-approval a day. So if we do that, then we're going to be knocking out every LP. We'll have 20 appointments, 20 approvals. We know that that will lead to better conversion. Then you have to have a compelling scoreboard. You see one right there in front of you. We're looking at that scoreboard every single day. 
where people see exactly where they stand. And lastly, you have to have a cadence of accountability. So four steps. Establish your goals or your wig. Uh, establish your lead measures. Have a compelling scoreboard measure. And last, have accountability. What organization do those steps, um, are, what, what organization has those steps embedded in them? The core. Like, think about it. You know your numbers. You have a dashboard. You talk to your coach every two weeks. There's competition. It's why the core is so successful. Um, so again, the data, you have to measure it first so you know what you need to focus on. And I think it's a good segue for what you have. So your next. we had asked earlier a couple data points that I look at. Guys, the key is just finding what works for you and what works in your team. And for me, when I looked at the simplicity of the goals versus actual, I need 180 leads a month. That's 42 a week. That's 8.5 a day. Like, it's, it's just that. So that's the thing I track every single morning. My team meeting consists of 15 minutes. It's 10 minutes of rapport, building into my people, spending time, a couple minutes of coaching, and two things we track every morning, leads and deals. Those are the only two things. Where did that lead come from? Cool. Where did that deal come from? Cool. I track that every day. You do not get fat from eating pizza one night at midnight. You get fat from eating pizza every night at midnight, right? You don't, your business doesn't get slow because you suddenly don't have enough leads. You don't have enough deals. You didn't have enough leads for a longer period of time. So tracking that data on a daily basis, that's super simple for me. The other one is on Tuesday meeting, my team captain gives me a performance sheet for everyone and I read it aloud. Why do I read it out loud? Does anybody want to be bottom of that list that had the, the least amount of leads or the least amount of closings or the least amount of deals? No, it's an accountability. When someone has too much business, I say, I'm sorry, Susie, that you had so many leads. Why did you have so many leads last week? Okay, cool. Let's make sure we fix that this week so we're able to balance it. Everyone's able to see what everyone else is doing, and it's a little bit of peer pressure between them. They want to be, they want my acceptance. They want to do well. They don't want to be on bottom of that list. Those are a couple things that I do to track that. Uh, leading into the top half of page 140, kind of talk about um, data and the numbers and the metrics and what my metrics are for my team. So, uh, starting the left, uh, this goes back to what Nikki was asking earlier. So, my number is, because I was coming out of a year that I overworked my staff, I was afraid I was going to lose them. Even if I didn't lose them, they didn't have a quality of life. I wasn't proud of myself as a leader because we brought in too much business. And I was understaffed is really what it was. So this year I went back and I put lower numbers in it. I went back and I put, I'm going to bring in 180 leads a month and I divide that amongst my five LP1s. That is 36 leads per month. So 36. 36 times five is 180. So I can handle 180 leads. My goals for actual shows my goal is 180. I'm training future LP1s while acting as an assistant for the current LP1. So think about someone on your think about someone on your team that's really good at structuring deals, putting things together, and they only have so many hours in a day. Do I want them looking up property taxes? Do I want them inputting all the data into my LOS system? Do I want them running DU again and again? Or do I want them doing higher level activities so I can bring the support people in? So when I come over 180 leads, we get overworked. I pull some support people in. They're going to be my future LP1s that are working underneath one of them. So it's an LP1 role, but it's an LP1 support role right there. So that gives me 180 right there. So for the year, that would be 2,160 leads. 2,160 leads at my lead to paycheck. Lead to funded is 31%. That'll give me 669 transactions. My goal for the year was 602. 
that's giving me six, uh, give me six, what did I say? Six, six, sixty-nine. So I'm staffed appropriately. If anything, I'm overstaffed, which is great. If a crazy market happens like last year, I'm staffed for it. I can do more if I have to, but I'm built for it. Heading over to the middle column, my LP2 direct submits. They can handle more than 22. 22 is a good quality of life. They can handle 25 probably comfortable on my team with how my team's set up. So that gives me 66 on a monthly basis. 66 times 12 means I can get 792 out the door. Is it a better experience for my clients? Yes. When someone isn't overworked and their hair isn't on fire? Absolutely right. Heading over to the far right, that last column, got an executive assistant. Executive assistant's number one job. It's really difficult some days. Make KP look good. That's the number one job description. <laughs> if you guys don't have that for your administrative assistant or executive assistant, that is their number one job description. Make you look good. So uh, executive assistant, I also have a client care concierge, so two LP1, LP1 admin jobs. That client care runs my CRM. That client care does my gifting. That client care gets the video guy to stick the video camera in my face. That person makes sure the mail goes out. Uh, all the direct marketing, and then I have a team captain, a team captain that works just with me. So when I add that up, that's 14 people. If we close 670, that's 56 a month, 14 team members, that's four closings per body. Yes, Casey. What's the difference between the LOA LP1 and front-end LOA LP1? the question. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. The LOA LP1 and the front-end LOA it's LP1 is in the far left, LP2 direct smitten is, is in the middle, and the far right is an LP1 admin. That's my executive assistant, and that's my client care. Repeat the question. So the, the question was just some clarity on LP1 versus LP2. So they're all LP1s, they're all LP2s. Does that answer the question? We sometimes use a, a word in the office that's it, it's loan officer assistant, but it's an LP1. Yeah. <clears throat> Cool. So I want to make sure I'm understanding reading this. So do you, so this is your vision, right? You go into 2021 and you said, I want to do 600. Well, I, I, I built because I'm going to be overstaffed for the first time in my life. I'm going to, I'm going to try it. I'm going to be staffed appropriately. So I said, I'm going to get 602 out the door. And okay. I have a team that's built to get 670 out the door. So Kevin's already in a much better position than I'm, than I'm in because, as you can see, I'm, I'm playing catch-up. I have people I just hired. Now I'm in the training phase. He's already going into this year with extra bandwidth and capacity. Um, and so you already have all these bodies on board. I do have all these bodies on board, yes. And I am preparing for the fact that I'm going to have to bring in more leads this year because of the tight housing market. So I think this is a great thing to do for everyone as table work. Just model his numbers. Model each box. Take what's your goal for this year. Do you have the right amount of LPs? Do you have the right amount of processors? Do you have the right amount of support staff? Let's just do that. Really Nikki, quick. you had a question. What, what is your LP? What is your LP one? What do you think your LP ones can handle on a monthly basis? Um, Fifty leads for fifteen contracts. Fifty leads for fifteen contracts. Great. Okay. So let's so literally do exactly what KP did here with your business. And let's find out if you're, I'm understaffed, I need to hire. Let's see where you're at after you do this. All right, so really quickly, put your hands up if you have the right amount of LPs to support your vision, to, to handle your lead generation. 
So you realize a lot of times where we have stress, when I'm talking to students and you have stress or your team is stressed, it's just a capacity issue. Most of the time it's a capacity issue. If it's not a capacity issue, it's usually then a leadership or training issue. So like 10% of the room has enough people right now. How many of you have enough back-end LP2 direct submit or process to handle your vision? Okay. So we, got, we have a mass recruitment opportunity here. And then uh, admin... Uh, put your hand up if you're still doing your own emails and scheduling all that. That's oh, uh, hi. We need them yeah, high. Put, I want to get a nice count and here. high. I'll let you take that one, KP. Did Did you guys not do the hourly rate calculation? Is that? Oh my did, God. Did we, do we need to go back and start the class <laughs> over again? The hourly <laughs> rate calculation. <laughs> I have had Jason. Is Jason in here? Jason. Core, former core coach, been in the business for a long time, coached you for the last year. What happened this last year? And what happened to your life? What happened to your business? What happened to your lead conversion? So, been in the business how many years, Jason? Jason's been in the business for 20 years. He finally listened to coaching and got out of his email, and he increased his income by $1 million. Anybody want to make a million more dollars? If you raise your hand, you want to make a million more dollars. Okay. Got to get out of your email. A good answer from someone on my team is better than a per- A good answer from someone on my team right now is better than a perfect answer in an hour when I have a chance to look at it. Not to mention my lost opportunity. Look at Derek's closing ratio on his sheet. 95%. Should Derek be doing his email, or should Derek be face-to-face with the client at the point of sale choosing to work with him? Oh, my gosh. Get out of your email. Okay. Everyone that said that they're in your email, can I get a commitment you can get out of your email? Is that a yes? To Jason, is that a good testimony from someone? I just kicked them out of the room, someone that finally did it. One million more dollars. It's that easy, guys. And I'll give you some pain on that. Here's what's going to happen. When someone takes your email over, they're not going to be as good as you. I guarantee they're not going to be as good as you. Do I look like a smiley face and, hey, thumbs up guy on email? No, I'm an exclamation point bold letters guy. Guess what? My assistant responds with exclamation points and bold letters now just like me. She responds to my emails better than me. The next thing with that is, if you have an LP2 direct submit, that's great. But you're constantly over their shoulder saying, hey, did you, did you submit that? Did you put that right? Did you read that income right? Did you get the tax returns right? Did you highlight this? Did you see the, the earned income over here? Did you add back in depreciation? How does that LP2 direct submit feel? They feel welcome, significant, reassured, or do they feel micromanaged? Please write that down. Welcome, significant, and reassured. That is the secret to retention of your people. Welcome, significant, and reassured. That LP2 direct Smith does not feel welcome, significant, reassured when I'm over their shoulder. Do you think your executive assistant or admin that's handling your email and you keep jumping in your email, putting your fat fingers in there and getting involved and in and out, do you think she feels welcome, significant, reassured, or him? No. Let them do their job. If it's that important, it'll get to me. I do not need to see 200 emails a day. I need to see five. And I need to see five when my calendar allows. If it's really that important, as JJ talks about, if it's going to affect the moving truck, guess what? Knock, knock. Hey, KP, you got to talk to you. we got a big issue. Cool. I didn't need to see the 220 other emails to get to the moving truck stop. Cool? All right, so 
I'm going to walk you through a couple other things that we're tracking, and then we're going to talk about metrics that uh, KP just touched on it. How many uh, loans can a processor close? We'll clarify those, and we'll do some Q&A. So if you turn to page 141. Derek, as you do, I want to circle back to something real quick, because Nikki asked a question about earlier, about 50, 50 leads for an LP1. I did my number from last year. It was 48. So my people handled 48 last year. And that resulted crying and not a good quality of life and everything else. So that was intentional to take roughly eight deals, 20% off of their plate was the, was very intentional this year. So KP is being a better leader than I am because my people are working way more than that. How many of your people are just buried? You're just burying them. Yeah. So the question is, what, what is it for, what, what's the workload for the LP1? Yes, some can handle more, but my better LP1s, I have them training my less skilled LP1s right now. Um, they can handle more. I would expect them to handle more. When we get super busy, I don't expect someone who's new. I don't want to drown that person. I expect someone that's been on my team for five or six years to carry a bigger load, and they will, and they'll step up. And I poured into them long enough period of time, and they know that these are short-term issues that we're going to get through it. I do expect more from them, but on a regular basis, I want to balance it pretty even. KP, um, do you set the standard for everybody and, and not, like, lead from the gut? Like, if you have somebody that's, like he's saying, like, a workhorse, right, do you give them more freedom, or you just set the standard, and that's it? So my LP1s, this fits into a different class, but it is basically training my future loan officer. So on my team, of my five LP1s, three of them are going to be outside salespeople someday. And so we'll, we're going to come back and talk about metrics per position and a couple other things. So let's go to 141 really quick. I'll knock this out, and then we'll do the Q&A stuff. All right, so this is something else that we track. Uh, let's look at the bottom part of the page first. Uh, this is actually measuring pre-approvals. So we're supposed to call pre-approvals on Wednesdays. So uh, every day we log our pre-approvals. If you look at, I'll just read it left to right. So you have the date it was logged, uh, who the client is. Um, then we have who issued the pre-approval. Every time it goes in contract, we log it green so that way they fall off of our follow-up campaign. And then you can actually see follow-ups happening. So those are text or email follow-ups um, or phone calls made to those uh, pre-approved clients. Uh, and again, it's the funnel, right? So we looked at leads. Then we're looking at how many pre-approval letters are issued. We actually talk about those pre-approval letters so they don't fall through the cracks. And ultimately, pre-approvals lead to what? To contracts. So if you look at the top part of the page, that is what we call our contract log. Oh, before I do that... If you notice, the consolidated bars are by month. So I can see at a bird's eye view how many pre-approvals we wrote in 2020. So we wrote 844 pre-approval letters in 2020. And I can see by month how many went out that month and if the trend was my friend or if it was dipping. Going back to lead versus lag measures, um, if I have to freak out a little bit because I see, oh my gosh, we dropped. Like, look at uh, my November of last year. We went, we dropped to 55 approval letters issued that month and got to work in December, we issued 78 pre-approval letters. Pre-approval letters then turn into contracts. You'll see the exact same thing. You can see by month uh, our purchase versus refi volume. You can see what our DFT percentage was, and we actually track why it DFT'd. Was it due to the house? Was it due to rate? Was it due to the client getting cold feet? Um, and then we, uh, when you look at the month that we're in, so when I turn this in, we were in February, 
And in February, we had uh, 91 deals written that month. We have it broken down by what type of business is it? Is it purchase versus refi? Who on the team's working on it? And at a bird's eye view, I can see where we're at. What, when did we receive the contract? How much time did the agent give us to close? Um, have we acknowledged the contract? Have we locked the loan? Have we handed the file off into processing? In a quick meeting, again, we're looking at which LP needs help. Are we making the calls? Are we converting? Is the trend line for the business healthy or do I have concerns? And as of right now, I can look at it and say, okay, still this year we're ramping up and this year is on pace to be better than last year. But I'll, the reason I'm trying to emphasize this to you is a mistake I made for so long is if you look at your business at the end of the month, you can only make 12 tune-ups a year. And if you're looking at it daily and you're looking at your leads and your pre-quals and your contracts, you can make your, uh, you know, on a weekly basis, you can make that 52 or 50 adjustment. There's just, they're turning in lead trackers that are incomplete. They're turning in lead trackers that the numbers, the percentages at the bottom don't even add up. Don't do the homework just to not get yelled at by your coach. You're running. What did you say, Kevin, was the goal at the beginning of this class? To, the, your mentor told you? Uh, build a business that's predictable and repeatable. And that's, that's why you have all the forms the core gives you. Commit to doing them and doing them properly. So what you're saying is, just to be clear, looking at your numbers 256 times instead of 12 times is better? Yes. And it's better than not looking at them at all, but you know, we are an uh, accountability organization, but you can't just wing it. You can't shoot from the gut. You can see that Kevin measures his business, and he does a, a much better job than me in terms of doing it simple. I like the data. I like to see the flow of a transaction, and I can do that every single morning in my team meeting. Uh, let's, let's, why don't you uh, kick us off in terms of clarifying metrics by position and what you want for the you know, lead to 1003 and all that. So I've got, I've got a lead to closing ratio, lead to funder ratio that I, that I track a lot on an annual basis. A really simple tactic is to take your accounts pyramid and track your accounts pyramid and put number of leads from each one of your referral partners and number of closings. You will get a percentage that you're closing with each individual referral partner. That is huge. When you talk about being overworked and you look at your team and you say, oh my gosh, we got so many leads coming in and we're swamped. And we're, but you take your account term, you start drilling down and you suddenly find uh, a business partner that sends you 40 leads in a year, 40 leads in a quarter, and you close one. I will tell you that is one of the best homework assignments that you can do. And you should do it every year and every quarter. So I saw very few people writing that down. But what Kevin said is gold. Go back and look at all of your closings last year. Do your accounts pyramid and measure from percentage. What will you discover? So on a quarterly basis, I do it. On a quarterly basis, my pyramid with leads and deals and a percentage. So I can quickly see at a glance on who is a time vampire and who I'm going to dive across the room and answer the phone for. And you know what you'll find? That person that you'll dive across the room and answer the phone for, you didn't even realize it was that person. It's the person that doesn't beat you up, doesn't bother you, and they're, they're sending you 80% of their buyer business. You're converting them at 45% and you don't even realize it. Who here actually has done an accounts pyramid this year? Good, good. Casey. Three-month rolling history, what do you do? Look at so, so my knowing that my metric is that I fund 31% of my leads I get a paycheck on, I want my referral partners to be that or higher. Based on 12 months? Uh, I look at it quarterly. So sometimes you don't even see me look at it quarterly. You actually close with really good clients. You will close more 
deals than you had leads because it's trailing, because the stuff they had someone they got pre-approved six months ago. So you see some outliers there. I'll give you an example. I, I have some agents in my marketplace that I have a transactional relationship with. And that's fine. So I could, I could pay him a thousand dollars a month in Zill and get a uh, hundred leads that 95 of them are garbage, five of them I talk to, and one of them I get a paycheck from. Or I can have a relationship with that same guy when his three guys he pays for Zill screw a deal up and need it to close. He calls me six times and I close six deals. Who would I rather work with? Six leads, six deals. So let's, again, this is data class. So let's drill down on your questions about data, whether it's metrics per position, metrics based on the milestone. Let's throw your hands up. I'll run through and get your question. What's your metric for lead to 1003? So we can see right then ours. Ours was 65%. And I just heard Coley say he's getting 90% credit pool. So what do I got to do? Got to up Here's that. Here's my answer. I don't know and I should. But I'm going to. And I wrote that down already. Um, first off, I just want to say you guys are crushing it. This is definitely a five-star class. So thank you so much. Tell your Second, friends. Yeah, secondly is, uh, <laughs> secondly is just uh, lead to um, – to actually pre, like, uh, to approval. Like, how many prequels? What percentage of leads should you get prequeled? 60%? So, mine's on there. So, you're talking about lead? Yeah. How many of those applications should be prequeled? So, our lead to pre approval, we shoot for 35%. Out of our pre-approvals, we want, uh, it's, Scotty just taught me this one, we want over, he, I think his number is 59%. When I had a homework assignment with him, like you were on the call, like two, two uh, assignments ago, we were like 64%. Do you guys, then, how do you guys um, bonus based on these me metrics with the leads? Do you guys bonus based on percentages or the actual loans that get converted? How do you guys um turn this into like an incentive program for your LPs? So for one is I, a mistake that a lot of us make in this room, we think that our employees are, we think, well, why would I go work for X amount of dollars when I could make X amount of dollars? That's us. That's how we're wired. I think it's a big mistake to make other than a very small percentage of your employees pay anything other than base pay. I, am, I have 13 people on my team. They all get a base pay. Their bonus piece is a very small percentage. Um, it's a small dollar amount for leads that close for LP1s, and my LP2 direct submits are based on a branch, and it's based on a customer satisfaction uh, across the whole branch. So all the LP2s in my entire branch get a bonus, and it's only something in the neighborhood of $500. I want base pay. I want them to have base pay to build their lifestyle, to make their car payments, to have a mortgage. It's my job to bring the business in. It's my job to make sure everyone can... Uh, can stay employed there. Um, so I want base pay across the board. I, I'm a huge proponent of that. KB, I have a question. What's the number one metric to focus on to get that lead to closing conversion rate higher? Speed to lead, getting a hold of them right away. Um, I love an inbound call personally. I love when someone calls me. When they call me, they're always available. When I call them, I'm in the boss's office, I'm with the kids, I'm at the grocery store, I can't, I can't talk to them. I love an inbound lead. So I work really hard to getting an inbound lead. Can you guys, one of the first things that really jumped out to me. Um, so how do you train your agents? Okay. So we'll do a little, Derek, you're a real estate agent? Yes, sir. We get done, we had, a, we had a great conversation, great meeting, we want to do some business together, and I say, hey, Derek, I still want to explain one other thing to you right now. 
My cell phone's sitting there face down, turned off on, 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 on the table. Derek, I would never lean over and pick this up in the middle of our meeting because our relationship's so important. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I guarantee someone's trying to get a hold of me right now. So what I like to do is I like your clients to call this number. When I'm in the office, I'm one of the group that, that answers it. When I'm not, someone else is on it because I want to talk to your clients right away. My commitment is I'm going to get back to you within 20 minutes to let you know we made contact with your client. Not to get them pre-approved in 20 minutes, not do anything else, just that we made contact with your client. It's a big piece. I set that expectation. Also on this sheet of paper, my cell phone is on there. Derek, I used to get 70 phone calls a day on my cell phone. I get three now. And as soon as I get out of this meeting, Derek, as I walk back to the car, I'll check to see if any of my very important clients like you have called me, and I will jump on it. But I am not the best person to talk to right away. My team is. They're awesome. And here's the script when you refer me. Hey, um, give Kevin a call at this number. And if Kevin doesn't pick up, someone on his team will. They are all awesome. So two things I took away from that is Kevin has it clearly defined what speed to the lead is. Define yours. Everyone has a different number. His was 20 minutes. So he's defined speed to the lead. And he does a better job of edifying his team. So you're going to get Kevin or one of his awesome members of your team. Raise your hand if you can do a better job on those two things. All right. Um, any other questions? Inter- Internet leads that come in. So we talked about being out of our email. Who knows better what the workload is in the whole team, what they're doing? Me or the executive assistant that's sitting there all day? She does. So when she gets leads in, hey, KP, can you give Joe a call? Guess what she does? She looks at who has leads, who's heavy, who's light, who's busy, who's not, who's on vacation, who's sick, who's healthy, who's happy, who's sad, and she'll bring that lead to that person and evenly distribute the leads. If the leads are not evenly distributed at the end of the week, I will talk to my executive assistant and say, hey, why did Susie get so many leads last week? What can we do? Let's make sure we back off her this week and point them to a different direction. What, is, what does your accountability look like when you have team members that are missing their metrics, and are you addressing that on a weekly or monthly basis? Uh, daily. Um, biggest thing is not getting back to client. I had I, I looked at my I looked at my email I looked at my email once yesterday, and uh, I saw a client that said, "Hey, KP, you said you're going to get back to me. I didn't hear from you. Oh my God, stick a stick a knife in my heart." Um, so I sent that to my team captain. I said, go talk to, I'll use Susie. Go talk to Susie and find out why Susie didn't make contact and set up an appointment and get that information. So it's more uh, proactive, reactive. Daily will take a look at it. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at it daily. I think that uh, first thing you have to make sure you're doing is that everyone is properly trained on the, the behaviors that you expect. And once you observe that they've done the job well multiple times, then you gain commitment. Once you gain commitment, you always have to check on yourself first. So like I, get, I share with you guys my sheet, I can't really get uh, mad at Tony because it's not him that's failing, it's me. I'm failing him. So there was no corrective action there except for to myself and to, to really ramp up hiring those, those extra bodies that we need. Uh, if, if the environment is right, they're properly trained, they're not being overworked, then you, you have a very direct conversation. You never attack a person. It's just the behavior, and it would sound something like, Hey, Blake, uh, I have a concern I'd like to go over with you. By the way, corrective action, don't do the, hey, how are you doing, like warm them up first, because then they feel ambushed or blindsided. So if there's a corrective behavior, it's, Blake, I have a concern, you have a moment, we sit down, we get right to the behavior. I want to talk to you about uh, your lead to 1003 percentage, what is it? And very Socratic, what is it? Oh, I'm currently sitting at 58%. What should it be? should be this. Why is that important? 
What's the impact to our organization? What's the impact to the team? What happens to our referral partners? Okay, so what are we going to do to correct it? And we'll advocate a course of action. We reach an agreement, and we work on um, following through those behaviors. And if it's a repeated issue, then that person is no longer part of the team. So another great corrective action just had one this last week. We've got a new agent we're working with. And a uh, new agent, yet two, her and her buyer's agent, and we're getting a lot of leads from them. And they are hounding us. They are, hey, where's this at? Where's this at? Where's this at? Hey, I didn't get, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And my team was frustrated. My team was frustrated. I talked to my team captain afterwards, and I, and I said, do you believe this? She goes, yeah, they're, they're, they're frustrated. Because this client, I haven't had the meeting with that I just had with Derek. These are the expectations. This is what happens. So I got my team together. I go, hey, guys, why do you think this agent is calling all the time? Why do you think she's asking, did you do this? Why is she questioning our pre-approval? Why is she questioning that we couldn't get someone pre-proof? And the answer is, I didn't have the meeting to set expectations with her. And she's treating me just like a typical loan officer in our market. Doesn't work it. Doesn't follow up. Doesn't get back to them. Doesn't work their best to get the deal done. Doesn't treat her with respect. Not in relationship with her. So it's not her fault that she's behaving that way. It's my fault that I haven't had a meeting with her like I had with Derek to set clear expectations and what she can expect from me and what I'm going to give her. And that's one of the great things about doing that accounts pyramid exercise is not only can you see adjustments you have to make in your team, but you can see who you need to meet with and reset those expectations. So here's the thing. We're almost out of time. You guys have those QR codes at your table. Uh, please grab your phones, scan that QR code, and uh, give us your feedback. If you've got something out of value. Randall said he's giving us a solid four. Solid four. <laughs> yeah. We, thank you guys so much. We really appreciate thank you guys. coming here. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Hey, we got we got a, we got a lunch break coming up, so fill that out. Derek and I will hang out for a few minutes. If you want to talk about anything else, feel free to stop up here. Really appreciate you guys. Thank you. And last thing, congratulations to all of you in having a awesome year. Let's do it again this next year. You've been listening to the Core's Sales Training Bootcamp. For registration information about our two-day business building summits, call 1-800-660-6670 or find us on the web at www.mccorretraining.com.